Welcome to the MCO Advisors Podcast. In this episode, Ryan and Corey talk to financial advisor and content creator Thomas Kopelman about marketing to millennials and his tactics on creating and marketing a successful newsletter. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Thanks for joining us for another awesome episode of Advisor to Advisor with myself, Ryan, and <laughs> um, we'll, smooth, we'll smooth out that intro, <laughs> give it a few more Fridays. Today, we have on Thomas uh, Kopelman, and he is doing a few things, if anybody's following. If you're not, you definitely should, and you can click the link above to see him. He's got a newsletter. He's on Instagram. He's doing a podcast. He's doing a... And I and I don't know what else, but those are the things I see, which is where the title came from. Um, what drew you to Thomas Corey and, and wanting to bring him on the show? I saw him post something about his newsletter, and I dug into it and looked at it and was like, shit, like, this is really good. Yep. Asked him to add me to it. He added me to it. Then it's like, you know, this would be a really interesting conversation to have on the show because uh, he's structured. I, I don't. I don't want to spoil our conversation, but I feel like he structured his marketing the way it needs to be structured for his audience, and I'm always intrigued by that and digging into that. Same. So Corey jumped on the newsletter. Uh, I was just hearing about the podcast at the time. I think so. I jumped in and subscribed, and I got it as well. Uh, and I thought, you know, I, I love the introduction that he had to go with it. And then leading into the newsletter has been great. So love the focus, but I'll let him uh, come on and talk about it. So without further ado, Mr. Thomas Kopelman. Hey, thanks How's for having me. Also, that the intro you have is dope. I, I love it. <laughs> it's so cool. Thanks. Um, appreciate it, man. Appreciate you being here. And uh, that that intro is all Corey, in case you couldn't guess. But we'll get we'll get you in there for the next. Re- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll edit we'll it by next Friday, so you just check back in. <laughs> all right, I'll um, be there. Appreciate you being here. Um, with with you know your why don't why don't we take a moment actually and let let you introduce yourself and kind of talk about how you got into the business and kind of create some infrastructure and then we'll go from there. Okay, so. Um, backstory is I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, went and played college basketball at Minnesota state, decided, you know, got hurt, didn't really want to play anymore, transferred to Butler and didn't really know what I wanted to do. Had like six internships when I was there from consulting to Eli Lilly to some other things. Didn't really find much fulfillment in any of those jobs. Love the people, but I wanted to work closer with people and see my work, you know, help people. And I actually almost took a job to be in logistics. Like I got my first financial advising job the day before I was going to take it. So I almost didn't go down this career path and I'm really happy it worked the way it did. But I started at Thrivent, which is a broker dealer. And it was a fine experience. Like I had good people around me. They still let me try to do planning fees and that stuff. But it was broker dealer life, still products and, and a lot of that stuff. And I couldn't market in the way that I wanted. And I knew that my biggest goal was I would grow with millennials through social media. And I was at a place that didn't let me do it. And so I kind of spoke it into existence that I wanted to get in the fee only world. I wanted to be able to market. I wanted to be able to create content because I didn't want to be the person that calls everybody, you know, or hosts events or goes and volunteers and tries. Let's to- dig into that for a second, Thomas, because I mean, this is a topic Ryan and I were chatting about offline this morning with about mm-hmm. you bringing you on. 
you get into Thrivent, you get into the world. You're obviously excited, right? Every like the the world's in front of you. How long does it take for you to realize, like, oh shit, I can't reach the people I need to reach? Like when when those those restrictions, and I don't mean to dog any firm. That's not the intention here, yeah. but calling a spade a spade. When you're sitting there, what's that moment like? How long is that until you're feeling like, oh man, I can't actually get out there? For me, it was really fast because I just, I felt weird being the person to call everybody, you know, or ask your friends who are five referrals or who would you go golfing with now connect me to them. Like that felt like, I mean, I hate saying the word icky, but that's like the feeling that you get by putting people in that position. So for me, it was really, really, really fast. And I talked about this on my last podcast, but there's a advisor, his name's Russ Ford and he's out here in Indy. And I saw him leave a broker dealer, start his own firm. And I saw his website and I was like, man, this is exactly what I want to do. So I got to talk to him a little bit about it. And I realized I didn't even really know about the fee only world. Like driving didn't tell me about that. Like at broker dealers, it's really all about like find your mentor inside of the company and, and do all of this. And you kind of end up with like a little bit of a group think. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to find advisors that are really great that I see on social media. And so I reached out to like Justin and Taylor and Tyrone and Russ and some of these guys. And then I realized like, oh, to, to, there's this exact model that allowed me to do the things that I want to do. And so as soon as I started to say that like, hey, this is my goal, um, it started to happen. Like I got a bunch of offers. I had a bunch of people that I could join, but I couldn't not join Justin. Like I, I've never really talked about it, but I, I basically told Justin, Justin was like, you know, we're not going to grow. And for people that don't know his name, Justin Castelli, he's an amazing advisor, a great person to work with. But I told him, I was like, I want to work with you. If you would just pay me enough to cover my expenses on a month to month basis, while I build a client base, would you do it? And at first he was like, I don't know. I just told my clients we weren't growing. I wasn't going to add anybody. But he, he basically said that, you know, when you meet the right people, even if you don't feel like it's the right time, you got to take advantage of it. And so, you met Justin um, Costelli like through social. I met him through social and then I joined the advisor growth community. And the first time I met him in person was at an XYPN event in Carmel, Indiana. And so we just hit it off from there. And I literally sat down in my meeting with him and I said, what would it take for me to be able to work with you? And that's where the discussion started. Awesome. And it's worked really well. Like he, he took a bet on me. And I think the thing that maybe was he was worried about is like, you know, how much am I going to have to train this person? Like how much time am I going to have to put in? Because I'm only three years into the business. Like I graduated college three years ago, but I, I, I mean, if you talk to him, I hope that he would say the same thing that like, I'm pretty autonomous. Like I, I kind of do my own thing. Justin and I, we sit down and we talk about plans and, you know, I'll send him my blog post for a quick review if he has any ideas, but like, you know, for the first few months, I just learned everything I could from Justin, every meeting to writing. But like, you know, we created everything together and he always says I did all the work. So take the credit. But I wouldn't be where I was today without, you know, learning from somebody like Justin. That's awesome. Um, did you find yourself, Thomas, like even before you were an advisor while you're dancing around internships that you were a natural creator? Were you playing on Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok or anything? Were you, were you uh, creating it all? I, so my roles were marketing, like at Eli Lilly, I was in consumer marketing for Trulicity, which is their biggest brand. And I had to do like a competitive analysis of type two diabetes landscape. And man, I was so bored. I'm not going to lie. Like, I I say, it sounds really exciting. <laughs> there, And it's really great work. And my brother and my sister-in-law worked there at the time. 
but I just like being an athlete, like, you know, they're, those are the people that are going to like work and build businesses and, and like prospect and do all that. Like you just have the mindset of like work hard and bet on yourself. And that's always the mindset I've had, but I was never a social media person. Like I, like if you, I didn't even have Instagram for two years during college because I couldn't find my password. And like, it just never was that. That's a risky, that's a risky gamble in college. Yeah, I know. But so (laughs) this last year, I've really like, I was never going to lie to anybody. I was fearful of doing this. I knew that marketing and social was what I wanted to do, but I was fearful of it. So Justin and I took the approach of one thing at a time. Let's just get good at one thing at a time. You get good at it. You add the next one. Because I think a lot of advisors, they're like launch their RIA or they finally get to go to RIA and they're like, okay, newsletter, podcast, social, and my website funnel has to be great. And you're like, there's just no way you're going to get good at all of those. Drowning. Yeah. Right away. And so like the approach that I've taken is, you know, I started with the website. Justin and I were like, you know, the blog is probably the best way because my first initiative was build credibility. Like I couldn't have built credibility through social before. And there's still people are like, oh, Tom is Thomas still selling insurance. Like that's what people thought. And so I was like, I need to get that out of people's minds. I need to show them I'm educated because I'm also still 25 years old. Like if somebody's going to look at my age, they're going to want to know I know what I'm doing, which having Justin in the firm behind me is always the, an added credibility. But we started blog and I remember sitting and writing my first blog and like sending it to three friends to edit and do all of this because I was so nervous about it. And it's funny because I looked back and I was like, man, it's going to be so weird. Like people are going to make fun of me because you always have like, your closest circle are the people that are like going to hate on you for pursuing things and doing things. And then the people that are not in your circle are normally the ones that kind of rally behind you. But I had this one guy in my mind that from my fraternity, that's super smart, but like, I was like, man, he's going to be the one like talking to his friends, making fun of me. And now he's a client. So like, that was like a really good feeling for me to like come full circle and be like, actually a lot of what I feel is, is in my head. It's not how people feel. And also like, I took the approach if somebody didn't disagree, if somebody disagrees with me or makes fun of me, like that's probably not even a friend I really want to have. So I, I don't really care. And that and that took time and a lot of coaching and mindset shift to get to the point where I'm fine creating things and the people that want to read it are gonna come. Thomas, there's a lot I want to dig into. I mean, one, your energy's infectious. Like I wish Ryan and I stumble into someone who can help us with marketing with your energy. Like just just go and run with it. Um when you and Justin are putting this thing together or talking and, and he's obviously got the framework built, is he bringing you on full well knowing that he wants you to run with the marketing? Is that part of kind of the conversation? So it's interesting because Justin's done growing his book. So he built his whole book and now you've probably all seen the news of him at OnRamp. So now he's even you know scaling back a little bit. But the goal was that all of RLS growth was going to be me. Like if it's a good millennial client, great. If it's not a millennial client that fits me, then we'll refer them out. Like that was the approach we took. So Justin is still like his marketing is building his overall brand. I would say like that's the best way to put it. Mine is building my brand as a financial advisor. And so the one thing that Justin said is like, you know, I've done well, I've built credibility, you know, people, people like Justin, but he never picked a schedule. Like Justin was always like, which is also harder when you start your own firm, I think, because he has a million different things. For me, I stay in my lane. I create content, I market, and I work with my clients and I do the financial planning. I I don't do anything else. Like we have a director of operations that handles the background work. And so I have, it frees up my time to to do that. And so what we did is I just picked a schedule, like every single Wednesday, I'm going to have a blog post out. 
And that, that was where we started. And then, you know, once a month newsletter, once a month podcast, and then my, and then I could take that whatever way I wanted. Do I want Monday to look like this? Do I want Friday to look like this? And I just keep testing it. And like recently I found that LinkedIn is really demoting blog posts now, but I have people that want to go read. And I also still want to have my website because I get pretty good traffic to my website or I'll get posts on abnormal returns or whatever. So I don't want it to just be a post on LinkedIn. So I post it, try to get as many views as I can. And then now I'm working on turning every single blog post into an infographic for a Thursday or Friday, because I'm getting a thousand to 2000 views per blog post. But the last two weeks I've been in 4,000 to 6,000 per every regular post I put. And so the hard part with social is like, as soon as you get a good grip on it, the algorithm changes. <laughs> and then you have to know three algorithms because I focus in on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And it's just, you know, something that you have to constantly be learning. I love that because everybody we talk to under the sun, first of all, for the most part, can only do Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. But you're on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, two of the platforms most people never touch on, Instagram and Twitter. How are each of those working? And I guess pick your favorite and start there. Yeah, so LinkedIn's definitely my best. And okay. it's really because of the outreach it gets out of your first connection. There, it, That's pretty much unmatched, I think, in any social platform because – I post it, one of you guys like it or comment, then people in your circle see it. Right. And that's why that's my first focus. But then my like, I think people try to play it too tricky. It's like, why can't I just turn my LinkedIn post into a Twitter post when it fits the characters? Like, I don't really have to change much besides cut it down. So that's kind of where I go second. And then third, I use Instagram not for posts. Um, I didn't really want to become the person where Thomas Kopelman's profile is all financial planning stuff. And I also don't take enough pictures and do things that like I could do once a week, you know, here's a financial planning topic. Here's a thing about my life. Here's this. And then go back through that cadence. So it looks really nice. And I was talking to Samantha Russell about this. And I've noticed that like people don't really look at posts on Instagram anymore. People look at stories and I, if I posted 10 times a week on my Instagram, people would start unfollowing me because I'd be really annoying, but I can post 15 stories a day on Instagram and nobody cares that my following is growing. The problem with Instagram is that there's no reach past your connections. And so in yeah. the space we're in, it's hard to do giveaways and other things to grow your profile because my goal is eventually if I get to 10,000 on Instagram and I can link to my podcast and I can link to my blog directly from that story, which I can't do, that all that's going to do is help me in the future. So I don't know if I'll ever get there, if I'll ever get there, like I hope I do. But I mean, that's kind of been the approach that I've taken is like, I'll, if I have a good LinkedIn post or a good Twitter post, I just put it as a story on Twitter or on Instagram. But then I'm like, all my Instagram followers, I want to add so much value to you that like the best tweets I see that day about financial planning for millennials, that's going to help you. I'm going to share. And then good tweets on motivation and, and all of that. And I just keep sharing between the three. So you've got five things going on really, right? The blog, um, blog podcast, well, six things, blog podcast, a uh, newsletter, and then the three social platforms. Yeah. Are you handling all of this yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do all of that, which is funny because I did like when I didn't take the job at Eli Lilly, I was like, it's because I don't want to be a marketer, but I think marketing for yourself <laughs> you are. <laughs> in, in a small business is different. And yeah. it's also something I'm so passionate about. Like I fully believe that everybody should be working with a financial advisor because I, I get clients that were DIYers for a bit and the amount of tweaks I can make off people that think they know a ton about money 
literally in the first meeting always baffles me. And the hard part is the people that need the financial advice the most, half the time are the people that are like, oh, 150 bucks a month. Yeah, not really worth it. And I'm like, you're living in a $2,000 a month apartment, but you're, yeah. you're telling me that you can't find $150 to make sure you're doing the right things for, month, for about your money. And then they'll be like, yeah, I have that like 401 thingy. And I'm like, you don't even know what a 401k is, but you won't hire a financial advisor to help you with like finance. It, it, it just baffles me. You're sometimes. fighting with bar money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Sometimes I talk about that too. I have people at the gym and honestly, it's a little expensive for jujitsu where we are. Um, it's like $150 a month Yeah, you know, and, uh, for a planning fee, something around a thousand, maybe $1,500. If it shakes out, I'm like, Hey, that's the same thing. And like, this is going to change your life. And you know what I mean? But you're right. Just, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's sometimes difficult, I think, to make it somebody else's priority. Yeah. 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 How have you felt with that? You know, dealing with millennials. I mean, let's talk about the 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 focus. Do you, are you finding a lot of high net worth millennials, a lot of people with money? Does, does that not matter? What is your focus around there? Yeah, so it honestly doesn't matter to me. Like I, I have a wide range of millennial clients. Like one of my best clients is twenty one, the VP of marketing at a tech firm in Indy, has owns three other businesses, runs Joey Chestnuts Marketing, like. He's just this go-getter that's super awesome. And his whole circle of people, like we're really good friends, are similar young people pursuing businesses and, and doing that. So I'm starting to get kind of in, in that world. But then also I have a lot of like dual income parents. So like two of my best clients are both are engineers working at the same place, making $220,000 a year and they're in their late 20s. And then I have another one who's a pharmacist and an engineer, you know, making 250 and they have almost a million net worth by the time they just turned 30. Um, but again, like my, most of my clients are planning fee clients. So it's 150 a month if you're a single or a couple, 300 bucks a month if you're a family, and then you graduate to AUM at 1% to a million and then 0.75. And so the fee doesn't end up being very much. It's honestly, I have clients who make $45,000 a year and it's totally worth it because they don't know anything about money. But my thing is, you know, I could just say I only want to do dual income parents because they make more. They're all three hundred dollars a month. They'll get to AUM quicker. But I don't really want to um, not work with people that I would enjoy. And so everybody that reaches out to me is millennials. They get that. Like I don't, I don't have anybody reach out because everything I do speaks millennials. Like in every single thing, it, it, it's what I do. And I also tell people it's what I'm good at. Like planning. Like I see the plans Justin do for his clients. And they're great, but that's not the way that I do planning. It, it's just so different. Millennials are, let's get you a plan. Let's get you a surplus breakdown. And then let me hold you accountable. So I'm going to meet with you a month after the plan's delivered to make sure every single thing got implemented. If it's not, then we're going to meet again in a month and we're going to make sure everything got implemented. And that handholding is something that only millennials really want and need. But most of my clients, they'll tell you like, yeah, the finance has been really helpful. I didn't know to do any of that. But Thomas holding me accountable is the best thing that has ever happened to me because we're all excited about money. And then the weekend happens, we go out with our friends and then we forget to start whatever or change our 401k. And honestly, this is one of the things I found missing in the industry is that advisors always talk about how not everything gets implemented. They're like, biggest problem is, you know, 80% of mm -hmm. things get implemented, but that's Fault. I, not just our industry, estate planning, huge people spend money on trusts that never get put on documents because it's <laughs> somebody never quarterbacked the situation. Yeah, the follow up rarely happens. That's why I, I love what you're saying. Um, you know, Nick talks about his next 90 days. Carl Richards talks about that as well. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm so big on the follow up. 
from you know a, a customer service standpoint because you know you you get somebody uh, a, a trust without putting it into the right beneficiary, then you just paid for an expensive empty box, and it's it's crucial to get those things done. Yeah, and I think that like having accountability is just really, really big. And for my clients, it's not about investment portfolio growth. Like that is important, but to my clients, it's net worth growth and hitting your goals. And I don't want to be the advisor that only makes sure that you implement the investments with me. I want to make sure you make 401k changes and start the right accounts and automated savings. Like I go in with the meetings with them and get everything set up. So that way I know everything's going to get accomplished. And also they do. Guys, I want everyone Continue to get your questions in for Thomas. We'll hit a Q&A in a little bit here. So keep just rolling the questions in as, as you have them. Um, Thomas, one I have that I think about, one, first of all, I think the market you're serving is so underserved mm -hmm. and rightly or wrongly so, I would say wrongly because but advisors are saying there's not a lot of money there and there's actually quite a bit of work you have to be doing for not a lot of return. So my, but, but I love where you're going with it because I think it scales. Because I think mm -hmm. what happens is the guy who makes 45 then makes 95 then makes 145 and so on and so forth. And he's with you forever. Um, what do you think about the scalability of it, though, in terms of your time, your capacity? Like for you to make a decent living, you have to do more and take on more clients than someone who's focusing on 52-year-olds at Pepsi. So true, potentially. So if we like you dive into the numbers, I'm at like in this last pretty much. I think the hard part is, so I went over to Justin and it was like pretty much start from scratch. So last June started there and create content, stick to a schedule, know that things aren't going to happen for, you know, Justin said about a year is when people say things click. Um, and I think about four or five months in, I started to get a couple leads. And then by January, I got like seven and then February, like nine. And then last month I got 13 inbound all through content or referrals. And so then I'm like, okay, what revenue am I at? And I, I brought over a, a few clients that I put at $100 a month because that's what I, they were paying me before. Some of them were 75 and I moved up to 100. And so I don't take on any more clients of that way. But if I do the math with my first 30 so clients, I'm at over 50,000 in reoccurring revenue of planning fees in AUM. So pretty good start. If I get to 120 clients, because my, my basic 150 a month clients, we meet with at the beginning of the year, it's like go over goals, I like whatever, everything new, I send you a plan via video because to save everybody time. And then we have an accountability meeting in person a month later. So it's not a massive amount of time to do that. And then they just reach out when they have questions because the biggest thing with millennials is life changes fast. And so they reach out, new job, here's what it is. I tweak the plan because you don't really need to create a whole new plan. It's just the number breakdown is a little bit different. Sure. Benefits. It's not that much. And so if I'm at over 50,000 revenue with all of these clients, these clients grow with me. So a lot of them are going to advance from 150 to 300. A lot of them are going to go from 300 to AUM. And so if I can do 120 clients, that brings my revenue to about, if I keep my scale, like 250,000. And then it's, okay, what do you do next? Do I just hire a para planner? And then I, I continue to add clients because I love that part of it. Like I love getting to know new families and, and grow and like just, like help them have that light click. And so I don't know if I'll ever really stop that or if I'll just build a team around me to, to be able to do it. Maybe I'll hire a, another young advisor who will take the 100 to 150 a month and that maybe never wants to prospect. They just like the financial planning and I can pay them a salary. So the goal is that even if nothing changed and I have plenty of 100 a month clients, I'd be at 250,000 of revenue, which is a, to me is like a really good living. But if they also grow, that could be four to 500,000 easily 
because I think the the longer I do this, the better the prospects I get are. Especially when you're in that, um, especially if you're already dancing in that successful space and you're talking from both ends, like you're, you're meeting somebody who has three businesses. He's not going to pay you, you know, 150 a month. He's going to have something for you to do. And that's going to be, I feel like a lot more planning and things. If you start getting lost in that area, you may not have time for another 150, 300. You know, if that, it may be, maybe the, your prospect changes your, your model. And the one thing that you have, obviously that, you know, from investing is time. So mm-hmm. I think one of the smartest things that I've seen young people do and and you're doing it you know, like beautifully is to eat shit in the beginning mm-hmm. to try to meet the people who are going to grow with you. Because if you can close your eyes for 10 years, just like you said, you're going to be in a completely different world with them as they as they transfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think not everybody has the patience to do something like that. But it's also nice that you're starting to make a little bit of money because you get to see the fruits like of your labor. And then I, you know, I'll be excited to see, as I'm sure you'll be excited to see where you end up in five years after doing all this. And the big thing too, is that like of my revenue, 90% of that's the last quarter, like because of how long the compounding effect took to sure. really start growing. And like my newsletter started in December, like my podcast. Started <laughs> in December. Like, that's all so of, awesome. All of these things are really new, but like, I think I had 17 clients and new clients in Q1 of this year. And then this month I have seven new prospects already booked. And so the, the revenue growth is what was bigger to me. It's not like, okay, 50,000 over a year. It's really like 40,000 over the last four months. And so growth is really starting to take off. And Justin posts about this, like we, he's like, maybe we incorporate a wait list. But my thing is I'm like, you know, maybe I will incorporate a wait list if I get overwhelmed, but as long as I can keep getting the work done, I I really want to grow as fast as I possibly can because it's really going to just be nice. Increase your fees. Build revenue. Yeah. I mean, that that's also not a bad way. That's just where how our firm is set. And eventually, like, I don't know what the future looks like. Maybe I become a flat fee and I go to 300 a month or 500 a month and 700. And that's how you do it. Or I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to figure out where it goes. But the revenue and the, the money side of it isn't really the concern for me because I just I know if I keep doing this that I'm going to get there. Okay. Ryan, pull up a couple questions in a second. But I just want to... Um ask you this thomas and this is like rhetorical because i i feel like i know the answer to it but i i love what i hope the way i hope you answer it your communication with style with clients is however they want to communicate right you're going to text dm you're going to hit them in any direction it's not just the yeah, old I, standard email like i just messaged a client today to ask if they were going to move forward via instagram like, yeah, like I, that's just it's ease of like, use man I meet them where they meet me. If they met me on Twitter, we're messaging on the Twitter. Like we're not talking about like giving them financial planning recommendations. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I, I probably say I have three clients we email with. That's it. <laughs> Everybody else. And, and I never talked to any of them on the phone unless it was like, let's have a meeting. Other than that, it's all through social media or, you know, text approval app or whatever it is. Yeah. That's cool. That was actually going to tie into my question as well, which I'll bring up these, which is how are people contacting you? Like, how does this shake out? And I guess for you, you're just clicking on your different apps, looking at each messages, seeing if somebody's responding to the content you're putting out. Or do you find that people um, naturally look for you on Google, find their way to your website and contact you through there? So I have a few that come through Google, but all of them that come through Google is because they found the Business Insider article. It's like top 23 millennial financial planners. And like I'm one of the only ones that talk about like relationship and I'm not as niche, like niche down as some of the other ones. So I, I got a few from there, but I think this is an important 
time to talk about marketing funnel of like, I was just talking about this with another group of young advisors that we always talk with, but my marketing funnel is not generate people to Google, to the website, to me. My marketing funnel is social media to here's the link to book my meeting on the website to book a meeting with me. And I think that's an important distinction because the way that you market is very different when you're trying to draw them to your website to actually like check you out and vet you. I want my social media to be, he knows what he's talking about. I like what he's talking about. He can relate to me. I want to, I'm ready to be with him. How do I get this meeting set up? And I don't know, I don't know if there's necessarily like a right approach, but it's a different approach than a lot of people take because a lot of people's thing is always just get them to the website. And And you think that's a friction step now for millennials, especially that's another Mm -hmm. jump. They're jumping off the platform and they don't want to leave. That's what I try to do. So I say, I either send them that link once they've agreed to meet with me or even my newsletter, I try to make people not have to go anywhere. So drop me your email. I'll subscribe you to the newsletter. So when you have your links, like for example, I didn't actually dig into your LinkedIn. Do you have a Calendly link or something where people can contact you right there? Or do you wait for the message and then drop them the link right in the message? So you could click on like my link tree and it would be there. But most people are like, hey, you know, I want to meet and I just send them. Here's the RLS exact link to click. And then it says, Thomas, get to know either in person or via Zoom. Awesome. Unless they like are just like, hey, can we meet next week at this time? And then I'll just go book it. Gotcha. Cool. Um, With LinkedIn, uh, how many you said you said, I guess you said you had seven. Now with Instagram and Twitter, how many messages are you getting from there? How many prospects do you feel like are shaking out? Is that something you feel like you'll let those platforms kind of fade away? Or are they still so fruitful that like you don't feel like you can let it go yet? I definitely won't let it go because I didn't start using Instagram until like some people were talking about, should you do TikTok? And I was like, well, I don't know. Talk to Justin about it. We're like, let's just do Instagram. You can do videos there, blah, blah, blah. So I, I didn't even think I started doing anything with Instagram till maybe December of this year. And I didn't really know what to do. And I just started adding the, the Q&A, which I don't do live because in the beginning I was worried like, you know, if I'm supposed to do live, what if nobody shows up? And that was a fear that I had. And I was like, well, in the beginning, why don't I just let people submit questions over a 24 hour time period? And then I'll answer them via just story. And then I let it live on my profile. There's like, if you want my profile, you can hit it says money questions. You click on it. It's all of the questions I've been answering. But like in the last, since I started doing that, I have like five new clients from Instagram over like six or seven weeks, which obviously feels really, really good. But like my last, I just got a client from there who's a buddy I played soccer with in fifth grade who lives in New York and is an engineer. And he's been engaging with me, asking me questions every week on here about money, blah, blah, blah. And these people that are like kind of vetting you, they're like, "Mm, am I doing something wrong? Like, have have I not thought through these things? So they ask you a question. And then when you give the answer, that's like, here's what you would, I would do not necessarily, you know, a recommendation, but here's why you should consider Roth 401k versus uh, a uh, regular or all those type of things. They're like, oh wait, I don't actually, maybe I'm not doing everything right. And so I know, I think Kristen Shea, who you had on here, she talked about like 18 to 24 months is kind of the lead funnel for a financial advisor. And so to me, it's cool that a lot of these have been so much quicker and I'm interested to see at 18 months, you know, what does that really look like after 18 straight months of content? Like I'll have 150 plus blog posts written and I'll have a bigger following and in all of those things. That makes I think sense. you're, yeah. I think that where you're focused though, it's so different. We're, I mean, I'm the, I'm a, you know, I've got no hair. I'm at the, I'm the oldest of the millennials, but mm-hmm. I still behave like 
fast, like decision making quickly, like no friction. Like let's just get get down to yeah. it. Enough of the bullshit. Like, and I think you're really just gonna thrive on that. Just at the speed in which I'm learning about you now in real time, I, I really yeah. like it. And I think it depends on you honing in on your message, who you want to talk to, like you also being under Justin and having that opportunity to have a little bit of a mentor, have that structure, and then you be able to hone in on marketing. Like, no wonder you're, uh, plus it's a skill thing, right? I feel like you're doing a great job consuming your content and watching it. It is really good. And most content out there is not, to be truthful. And that's, it's hard for people, I think, to get their handle on the message. But because you are talking to people that you resonate with, it comes through, you know, I feel like authentically it's tough, tough for everybody to grab, but it, it's, yeah. it's fun to watch people create who hit their stride. Like I see in you because you, you can see the compounding effect happen quicker and it just creates a fun energy. I think, you know, about you. I think the biggest thing that's worked with me is like when I was in my last year of thriving, I hired somebody to help me with marketing and they were like helping write blog posts and copy. And when I came over, Justin was like, no, like that's just, that's not what you're going to do. Like you are going to create yourself. And it's a little scary, but then I realized like I, people are choosing to work with me. They want to know me. They want to know my voice. And like, I, I have the same voice. I talk about very similar things over and over and over to drive it home. But the best thing I ever did was make my marketing and everything my own. So if you look at my, like Justin does, we do similar things. Like Justin has a weekend review. My weekend review looks different. Like I have more tweets. I have my workout I did in the week. I talk about things that are just like a little bit different. And then I still link his stuff over. So I try to like kind of pick and choose from people that I admire and things that they're doing and then really make it my own, which I, I it's kind of scary in the beginning, but eventually you just find your stride and then you really stick with it and go with it. Love it. Let's uh let's go ahead and grab some of these questions into the comments and give everybody else a chance to to speak up. I'm sure I stole some of these and you may have even answered them throughout the show as these are kind of older, but we'll mm -hmm. hit them anyway. Okay. Uh, from Justin, uh, at what threshold do you switch from subscription to AUM pricing? Okay. So our I didn't fully go into it. So we have a 750 upfront fee and then starting month three, it's either 150 a month or 300 a month. And then if we manage assets for them, we charge the same as a robo advisor at 0.35%. And it's because a lot of these young millennials, like planning is by far the most important thing. Plenty of them don't have assets. And some of them that do, it's really small. So I don't really care if they want to manage their Roth. Nobody ever does. Almost everybody lets me take over and manage the investments. But the goal is then you go from 150 to 300. But technically at 300, you're paying 3,600 a year plus your AUM, which is, you know, get in the hundreds, 200s. So this is a saving, like we're like, if you save and get to 350,000 in assets we manage, you will be saving like $1,500 plus a year in the beginning. And then as that goes up, you end up playing the same fee. And so we took the approach of like, it is an incentive to help people save more, to have a reduced fee. And now it doesn't come out of your monthly budget. And some people would rather money come out of monthly budget. or So I've heard, I've never had somebody who would rather come out of their monthly budget than come out of their investment account. Me either. Yeah, I love that. Um, so Jonathan asks, relating to the your um your, your ongoing clients at 150 or 300 do you reach out to these guys directly every month so i think this is a misconception about subscription fees is that people think that you have service every single month i explain to my clients that what i'm trying to help them do is systematize and make their life as regular as possible like everything is automated everything is paid if you had to wait to one time a year to pay eighteen hundred dollars that would be a planning i mean it's just a planning error i think on my side because that is 
way harder to handle, way harder to plan for. And so I say, hey, this is the planning fee to have us as an advisor every year. You're going to get the three meetings at the beginning of the year if you're 150 a month client. If you are a 300 a month client, we'll also then meet in like November time um, and we will just get everything done. We'll, one new plan for the year, the second time's investment and everything else. But my clients have full access to reach out to me every month. So I have clients who commission and I still give them a commission plan, but they'll say, hey, I ended up getting 3000. What do I do? We hop on a call for 10 minutes, tell, tell them where to go. They feel confident in their decision, go back to their life. And so it's kind of, I let everybody know anytime a question comes about, reach out, we'll sit down, we'll get an answer in the next day. And then you go back to living your life because with millennials, it's just constant changes, new life event, new job, new car, whatever that changes your surplus. Let's change the plan on your surplus. So, you know, you're moving it from the right places and then go back to living life. And then we just continue to do that over and over and over. Some clients only want the plan in the year and they like, you know, making their decisions and other clients ask me every single financial decision that they have. So I love that. And and I think you answered Jonathan's question, but do you address that up front? Like, guys, this is the way the model works and here's why. It's just so that you're not banged with a, a giant bill yeah. at the end of the year. Our first meeting is though, like, I hate sales. Like, do not like, I, don't, I hate sales. I hate sales people in the way that they are like pushy and handling objections. And you all. hate bad sales like anybody yeah. does. Yeah. yeah, I take the approach of, hey, I'm going to sit down with you in this first meeting. Tell me about you. Let me get to know you. What are you looking for? And then I'll tell you what we do and how we work with our clients. I go exactly through the process. What we do in every meeting, what's between every meeting. Here's what it would look like after year one. And I, I've just gotten to the point where I had my pitch and then now I have somebody who asked a question. All right, well now that this person asked that question, the next meeting I have and everyone going forward, I'm addressing that before they ask it. So like when I tell my process and I say, here's the next question people normally ask. Here's the next question people normally ask. Here's the next question people normally ask. And so I'm just taking them through, like, obviously he knows what he's talking about. Is he doing? Because those are the same questions that I was just about to ask. And so then they feel really comfortable about it. And I'm answering questions sometimes that they didn't even think to ask. Like a lot of times people are like, they don't think to ask, like, what does 150 a month actually get me? So I want to make sure that they know it. So when they go make the decision, they are fully confident this is the best thing for them. Can I also throw in with the subscription model something that we felt is that our paying members relate very heavily to our free content. So something that I'm sure that you have too is like you've built this ecosystem of content, podcast, Instagram, wherever they found you is where they still are. So they're not only working with you, but they're seeing you over and over every day. And you're reminding them and educating them in the background. So even the thing that you think is free is, is, is giving them work. And when they're paying for it, I feel like people appreciate the content you're putting out because in the back of their mind, they know I have access to this person if I ever need it. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's you. I think that's a huge stickiness factor um, for the subscription is the amount and the, and the, and the ability of, of you putting out so much content and putting out. I content. think that's, I, I, I've never heard it articulated that way, but now if I think about that, any subscription I pay, I'm still consuming their content. And you're right. It is a little switch in the back of your head. And you're like, and I can message them whenever I want. <laughs> yeah. I just saw that question pop up that was saying like, hey, it's not been sticking with my clients. And I don't know. I think maybe in the future, I'm going to try to like help advisors with this because I feel like it's a strength of mine. And I talk to other people and they're like, man, I can't sell subscriptions. But also like, I, I definitely think it's hard to sell subscriptions when you work at a broker dealer. Like I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I was there. If they've met with people, other people at a broker dealer, and then they're like, now this is a new lead you have because that advisor left. 
those people are like, well, why would I pay for advice now? But the thing they don't realize is they weren't really getting advice before. They were getting told that they need life insurance. They need this. They need to start a Roth. Like I try to get to every detail of their financial plan. Here's the bank account you need. Here's the automation. Here's the amount you need to do per paycheck. Like I get so into it that like, it's like the plan is one page. It might have 10 to 15 action items in their check boxes. So they know that's done. That's done. That's done. That's done. And then I get all the way down to, Hey, here's your surplus of $2,500. Here's exactly where that $2,500 is going. 500 to Roth, 300 to your travel fund, 200 to emergency savings, you know, and taxable account insurance. Like I just break everything down for them where it feels really realistic and easy when they see the numbers and how it goes. But I think the biggest thing in the subscription model is talking with confidence. People sit down there and they're like nervous, like, man, I don't have subscription clients. Like, so, Hey, so it's going to be a hundred bucks a month. Um, and, and then they just over justify why you're paying. And then the people are like, right. Why is this guy telling me like a million different things of why you Why'd you just defend your service? Like I didn't yeah. even make a decision yet. Yeah. I just believe so much in this model for millennials because a lot of people I get work. See, that's at sales, but that's good sales. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want to be like pushy, but they came from like a Northwest Mutual or somewhere else where they're like, I sat down, like I just had somebody I sat down with and she's like, yeah, if I sat down with Northwest Mutual and then never, I haven't heard anything over a year, like nothing's happened. And I'm like, well, what did they tell you to do? And she's like, I applied for these, like what some of these products I think, but then they said like, no, because I had anxiety and I haven't heard anything. I was like, Oh, so the guy said that you didn't get approved for an insurance product you didn't need. And so now they're not going to work with you. And <laughs> like, wow. Or you could go to somebody that's going to give you the advice. Like I'll actually help you on your student loan breakdown. I'll actually help you on savings and automation and uh, like everything that you really need. I can be the one-stop shop for, money wise. And so again, I just think it's all about believing in it and talking confidence. I, I think a lot of these people who ask these questions or that I talk to, they don't even really believe in it. They just want reoccurring revenue. And if you, if you're going to try to get a subscription model, cause you want reoccurring revenue, then you got to figure out how, why you believe in it for more than that. Or your, your clients are going to see that and not want to pay. Man, harsh, harsh truth. So true. <laughs> um, and, Good one here from Ryan. Yeah. Uh, is there a minimum for income that you have since you are charging over 100 a month, which could be difficult for those having income below 100K since it's over 10% of their income? Well, that would be like 1%. One percent. Yeah, oh, 1%. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then it'd become like two and a half. And no, because like, I mean, think about it. We You have people that are paying like, you know, $70 a month for their car insurance, or you, there's just all of these other things they're paying plenty of money for like I, my lowest income clients, probably like 50,000. And like I save them $10,000 in year one or potentially like they were paying student loans and they're, they're just, they're doing all of these things that were wrong. And a lot of times it's really like, how much help do you need on finance? Is it enough that $150 is going to end up profiting you in the long run? And like one of the, this guy, like his parents told him that he should always be holding over 30% on his credit card. Like they had the whole, this whole <laughs> and so he's been sitting, just destroying his credit, paying all this money in interest. And I literally saved him that much money in year one, just by like one, just one thing, not even getting into investing or paying down debt or anything right. else. And so it's really just about like, how much help do you need? If you need the help, then, then it's justifiable and easy to pay. 
I'll also add in your confidence comes from the fact of how well you understand your own process. And then when you deliver that confidently to somebody else, you're also delivering expectations. And then when somebody knows exactly how something is going to go, I feel like they stick with you because they understand the whole way. The time when I feel like advisors may lose somebody or relationships go weird and it's not as sticky as people get confused and people always won't reach out when they're confused. They may just leave. Because they yeah. don't feel if they don't feel comfortable speaking to you for some reason, or there's some weird thing that that they that's that matters to them, but you didn't know, you may never hear about it. It's something I learned, so that's why I try to over communicate and deliver those expectations to make sure that 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 person at least at the very least feels always comfortable knowing what's going to happen, and if something doesn't play out the way I said, they can come to me about it. Yeah, I wish I actually would have brought that up because that's a really great point. So what I found at when I was at Thrive is that like. I was like, man, am I annoying people or am I over communicating? And I think it's different when it's a prospect. So like if they, if you just keep following up, like, oh, you want to meet this time or this time or this time, they keep giving you objections. That's annoying. But when they're your clients, they do not get mad about over communication. And that's the, probably one of my favorite things that we've set up that has been a combination of how Justin had it. Then I came in and he let me take over of like things that like the accountability meeting, I think, and this and that, and he's let me own my process. But Darlene, our director of operations is literally the best, the best person you possibly could work with in the world. And our communication I think is amazing because I, for one, let everybody know every single step, what it's going to look like, what we're going to do in that meeting, what the future is going to look like, everything like that. But what she does is she makes sure that every single step, the communication in between is perfect to the clients. So, you know, we have a lot of automation, but clients booked, you know, they have a questionnaire, we meet with them, they agree to move on. Darlene has an automation that kicks off of here are the things that you need to do. And then here's the account paperwork. And then here's questions to think about before the next meeting. Boom, we sit down the next meeting and we have this jot form in between that has all these questions. So I just did a get to know meeting. Should Darlene reach out? When should she reach out? What fee structure would they be? All of this. So everybody in our firm is at a no. And then every single thing, new account finally transfers, Darlene emails them. DocuSign, Darlene emails them. Okay, now go into our risk questionnaire, Darlene emails them. Um, literally every single thing, as soon as one thing is done, oh, they sent us a check to, for a rollover. Check is here, deposited next day. Next day it's there. It's finally there, go check the funds. Like We have so much communication but it's because we just have a really great set process and we have really great communication in our firm. Yeah. Love I want to make sure I get this one in from Mason. Just uh, what Same. Was, I, was, I had my mouse here. hovering. So yeah. <laughs> what does, what does your day or week look like doing all those things yourself? Do you think it's sustainable as you grow? Yeah, I do. So I like in the beginning, it might've taken me eight hours to do the average blog post. I probably spend 90 minutes per blog post now. So Monday mornings, we have a 10 o'clock meeting um, as the firm, like what new things we need to do? Are we missing things? Like just all that stuff. I go write my content. I'm done with it by, you know, 12, 1230. I do some meetings in the afternoon. Tuesday morning, I wake up and I edit that podcast or that blog post one time and then do a bunch of meetings. Wednesday, I edit last time spend 20 minutes creating stuff on Canva, post it to all of them, and then go on and do a bunch of meetings. And then Thursday, I don't really have much content to do. Maybe I create a Canva of an infographic, which now we've just hired a part-time marketing person who I'm going to have her create those. So, I mean, I guess that takes a little bit off my plate, but I think when people think, do you have enough time? A lot of these are like the solo RIA owners that are doing the paperwork and they're like calling TD Ameritrade and Altruist. Like, I don't do have to do any of that. I just yeah. am 
with the client and I do the marketing, which are is amazing for me because I'm really good at big picture things. Like, oh, I got a plan. I can sit down and crank that out. But when I have like a hundred little one tiny tasks is when I get overwhelmed. So I know that that's what I'm going to always hire out. I'm never going to be the person that wants to do that. So I don't think it'll be bad. This was the first time I had some annual reviews and while managing clients. But what I realized is we started with January to April is when all annual reviews are. And I found that the best thing to do with millennials is we should meet with all of them when they sit down to get their new uh, bonuses and salary increases. So now all of those reviews are spaced out throughout the year. And then I just have to make sure I can bring on and, and manage all of the clients. I nice. selfishly feel like we're going to, if you're willing, we'll bring you on again. Cause I feel one, we didn't even touch on the newsletter at all, which is this, what this whole thing's titled, but there's so much we could dig into you with. I, I feel like, um, you know, I, I want to actually dig into some of the successes you're having on another episode at some point. Yeah. I, I mean, I love doing this stuff to be honest. It's so fun to me. Yeah. That's, it's, it's fun to watch too. Um, you be in a place where it's like you fought to get there and made sure you worked with the right person, but you're fitting in like, like a, like a puzzle piece. And you guys are having really, fun with your added. basketball career in the comments here. Basketball <laughs> <laughs> was my thing. Drive first, dude, second. I was definitely um, a shooter. Yeah. I'd say 40% from three. That's extremely solid. Yeah. Um, I think I scored over a thousand points off threes in high school. Wow. That's Come amazing. That's who was amazing. your um just thinking of your age who did you look up to because are you was steph Man. was steph too early for you uh too almost too late jj reddick was who i looked up late to. okay fair enough yeah i was like when i was outside playing basketball growing up in our basketball court all i was thinking about being jj reddick hitting a game winning three and what that that feeling really would be so i was a big duke fan and then my sophomore year i broke john shire's three-point record at a state tournament and that was like one of the coolest feelings ever, just being like such a big Duke fan. Was Gordon Hayward kind of a guy that you looked up to? Just being so a Butler? My brother, so my brother was going to Butler and we went to the national championship when Duke played Butler. And at that time, my brother was going to be a senior. I was a freshman in high school, like basket, like I always wanted to play a Butler, but man, I was rooting for Duke, not Gordon Hayward. I can tell you that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome, man. Um yeah, I, I I don't want to I don't want to steal too much from you. Uh, so we we can. Uh, do, do you want to? One thing I actually have, since it is titled the newsletter, especially we have time. Um, whatever yeah. you want to do with with the newsletter, um, two hundred subscribers. Do you get a lot of interaction with that? And uh, do you find that it's working as something that nurtures people uh, from social media? Like how are how are people connecting there? And then once they're in there, do you find that to be one of the successful channels? So I think the hardest part about the newsletter is I've only done four. Like I've done four newsletters over, you know, four months. This will be five. Then and, like the podcast, you're up to 10 episodes. So it's like you're really in the infancy of creating those two yeah. pieces of content. And yeah. The podcast too, I did two a month to get it going in the beginning. And the newsletter was something I like, I didn't think was going to work. Like I was like, nobody's about to subscribe to my newsletter. And I started, you know, I got to like, you know, 30 in the beginning of like people I know. And then a lot of people I know didn't subscribe, which I was like, whatever. And then I started to get more and more people, but in, it started to take off once I used Instagram because I just got rid of that friction. So like once a week, I'm like, I tease the, whatever the newsletter is going to be like this month, I'm teasing that everybody that joins gets my budgeting template. I don't even know if that's helpful for that many people, but I already have it created. So why not offer it? 
And so then, you know, maybe that gets you at nine or 10 more. And so I'm at 225 in four months, which I feel like is really good because maybe only like 40 or 50 of them are people that I know. So the reach is kind of going there. And I'm, I'm hoping, I, I feel like the best way is almost piggybacking off other people. So I'm hoping like, you know, other people that have bigger accounts, I can get some like, you know, shared PR from like one of my clients, he has like five or 6,000 followers. He's, he's getting to be up there. And like, you know, I talk about him. He talks about me sometimes, which that never hurts, but Instagram has been the best way for me to grow. And then do people respond or talk? Like I don't try to make my newsletters as engaging as maybe it could be because it's just so much content. Like I wanted it to be like, people go here because they learn they get exclusive stuff and they learn about more than just money, but also a ton about money. Gotcha. And, but like a lot of people respond after the first subscription, because I have that, like that first automated email. That's like, here's who I am. Here's some things about me. Here's my favorite people I learned from, you know, what about you? And so I've probably gotten 10 people plus that respond there and like, I absolutely love this or, Oh my gosh, you go to Lake Geneva. I go to Lake Geneva. Oh, oh that basketball thing was cool. And it starts a conversation um, and I have clients that are, that have come, but I don't know if they directly came from my newsletter because they don't email me. Like the millennials aren't really big on emailing. So I have people that subscribe to my newsletter that now reach out to me at, from Instagram. Right. They started on my newsletter two months Dude, ago. That's so crazy. Actually thinking about that. Like, and, and I don't mean to like talk about myself like I'm 25, but like mm-hmm. I'll consume your newsletter, but then I would literally switch apps to message you. Like, yeah. I don't want to reply to it. Yeah. It's just for some it's, reason, yeah. the replying is like friction. It's kind of like if I got a, um, I got an email from my mom, I'd probably just either call her or text her back or something for some reason. Delete but the, it. Same, <laughs> the same way. Or, delete, or just not read it. Yeah. <laughs> also, I don't know if like they, they might have been seeing the newsletter, be like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. Like, Thomas knows what he's talking about. And then four days later, a blog post that comes out that talks about this. And they're like, oh, man, I don't know nothing about that. And I'm probably missing something here. So I always talk about that. Like, I think my marketing is combined. Like most yeah, of absolutely. a lot of my followers follow me on every single platform plus my newsletter. So that means they're hearing from me like 25 times a week, at least probably between everything. And I mean, I think only naturally people are just going to start to like you more, the more that they see you, the more that they know what you're talking about. And which again, my biggest thing was build credibility because of my age. Well, Ryan, amazing, you dropped man. last night in your story. I thought that was, I mean, this speaks to what Thomas is talking about. People don't even have to consume the content. They just want to know it's there. Mm-hmm. They just get the email. Yeah, they see that you were live. They're, they know the access is possible. Yeah, and that's what I was just talking about this earlier is that like people probably don't even read my blog posts that are not financial advisors or DIYers, but they see that I'm talking about that topic. And then when I repurpose that content the next day or Friday, like this week I did, you know, mistakes millennial parents make. And then I put out an infographic with all of the the 11 mistakes and my blog post got like 900 views or whatever. And, you know, eight comments and 10 likes. And then that infographic has like 40 or something. And so as long as I'm getting the views and people know that these things, or then they're seeing, they're like, Oh my gosh, I haven't done any estate planning. I have no insurance and I have kids. Maybe I should talk to Thomas. Like I just talked about those two really boring things in a way that isn't why you need life insurance, why you need your estate planning and make it a little bit more fun and a little bit less serious for the millennials. What a, I, I really like, I, I even said to Corey, I think we were messaging last night or maybe it was even this morning. I just said this, I was like, this is going to be one of those like 
unassuming episodes while I'm always excited to have people on. I was like, I, I bet Thomas is going to come on and just, you know, it's just, it's just going to be one of those awesome episodes where you can feel good energy and it carries through the rest of the day. And that's exactly what it is. I'll be more than excited to have you on in a couple months to see where this momentum, you know, has carried you. We have yeah. a lot of people on and we always say that where we feel, you know, you're kind of in your infancy of growing, but you're already feeling so much success. And it's nice to see you break through on something that, that uh, is so difficult and you're doing so well with it, but it's nice to see that it really does work. And when it does work, it works so well. So, you know, yeah. for you to be as young as you are in that business, in that position is such an awesome thing to see. So I'll be more than excited to, to get an update from you and see where your life is, you know, even by the summer or by Christmas, especially. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very down. I, I, again, I love doing this, but I appreciate you guys talking about the energy because to me, I think that's the biggest thing. Like I, I wouldn't work with a financial advisor who I couldn't relate to and talk to. And we were, so we, I was at like, like a mastermind group and everybody's like, okay, brag about yourself. Talk about one of your biggest strengths. And I said, for me, mine was that I can make anybody feel safe and talk about things that maybe they feel ashamed of without feeling shame. And I think that's a really big thing on money is I try to make it when people come in and talk to me that I am over telling them like, don't feel bad. Like that, whatever you did in the past is the past, like blah, blah, blah. And I just want to be relatable and people to feel like, man, I just felt like I went and talked to one of my best friends after my financial planning meeting. And that is the advice I keep getting from these young clients. Like I've never been able to talk about money with anybody before. And now I feel really safe talking about it here and more confident. And as long as I can keep doing that, like that's where referrals come from. And that's been a big part of the growth too. Well, when you get a bunch of Keatings sending you DMs, it's me telling all my cousins to hit you up. Sweet. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, again, more, more than appreciated. I do feel like your, your energy is in, infectious and I feel like your, your mindset is extremely mature and how you're marketing and how you're performing and stuff like that. So again, kudos to you and thanks so much for being on this show. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, and also have a great weekend. Are you doing anything fun this weekend? Um, tonight I have a bunch of buddies who like finished dental school finals or pharmacy school finals. So we're going out to dinner and get some drinks. And I have another buddy. Those pharmacy, my, my wife came from pharmacy. Those pharmacists can party. Man, they're, I know. they're a work hard. They're a work hard. I mean, I, I never saw, I never saw a group of professionals laying on so many tables from having too many free drinks. They can offset it very easily. <laughs> like, once you go through that school and you realize that yeah. like, my friends at Butler, they do this pharmacy MBA program. So yeah. it's a six-year program. Oh yeah, dude. Pharmacy, yeah. And they take like 21 credit hours a semester. So you need to find a little bit of way to have some fun because Half of them are like going to bed at 4 a.m. like every night, waking up for at sure. and just yeah, hoping they get it. Yeah, going through organic chemistry for the third time because it's so freaking confusing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, I, I, well, I, watching that, I was like, you know, yeah, every every day I would see it. I'd be like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just that's not me. I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to put myself through that. Um, never, never. Awesome. Appreciate, uh, appreciate really good it. to meet you, man. Appreciate again, yeah. Thomas. And we will definitely stay in touch and, um, you know, I'll chat with you in the background. Talk to you soon. Sounds good to me whenever you guys want. Awesome, man. Have a great day. You too. See you guys. See, See you. Great episode. You called it. Could have, oh, yeah, 50 50 chance. Um, oh, better party school, <laughs> Butler or IU. <laughs> <laughs> No, you called it this morning. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. I don't. His energy. I mean, we could talk for another hour. I uh, completely agree. Um, and you know, when you see again, 
for somebody like Thomas, when you can, when you can feel that he never would have been as successful as he is right now, if he stayed at Thriven, that is just a fact because uh, he, how he performs he his energy. Yeah. And I see this with advisors now, even who may be ingrained and, you know, sometimes one of the worst things you can have at a constrictive firm is success because then you can't leave that. But his energy, and sometimes I see people on video or you can feel it across and you're like, man, you don't know what you could be outside these walls, but it's hard to make that change sometimes. But it's, you know, it's a, a you, you know, depending on your personality and thinking about who you are, especially as a financial advisor is so crucial because most of us do have the personalities that drive. You're either the numbers guy and you got your head in the books and you like the investing, or I feel like you're the high level, high energy personality. And if you're that high level, high energy personality, really got to think about your marketing and, and what you're capable of doing. That stresses me out to think about a little bit. Like, cause I feel like if you've got a personality like Thomas or some of the other people we know, and you're at a place where you can't talk and you can't even have an OBA or do something to get your outlet out. I, yeah. I, this sounds yeah. crazy. That's like a long life. That's like a suppression. Killed me, man. I was. I felt like I was at one of the most open forms, open firms, being at LPL. You can do almost anything you want, except there was a few things. But those few things were everything to me and really mattered. And for somebody to tell me I can't do something was not something I could sustain. So yeah. it's it's hard. Uh, so I, 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 you know, I feel I feel for everybody. But there's nothing there's nothing better than scratching that itch. You know. That I mean, that's what we're here for. That's what we're doing. We're not all just advisors. We don't. Not everybody loves planning so much that you can just stick to that thing. That the the idea of talking about planning and engaging with people and human interaction is is just a simple part of life. I think most people enjoy. You know, a, yeah, a, a brand a, a brand just puts you in front of more people, and it's nice to just have a, a people to talk to. There's going to be a dozen clips that we can pull out of this. I mean, there's just so much. Completely, completely agree. Uh, thanks so much for being here, guys. Again, usual crew, but if you guys are all still here, thanks, Adam, Mason, Justin, Sid, always hanging out. Anthony, um, I know we said don't like sales a few times. He might have fell out of his chair. Uh, no, <laughs> no, good, good, good sales. Everybody likes everybody likes good sales. Nobody likes bad sales. Bad sales are always annoying, and annoying people aren't really. I don't even know if we would call that selling. Uh, let's 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 leave it at that. Um, Justin, Mason, Jonathan, thanks for engaging and hanging out, guys. Ryan, with you being here. Um, David, yeah. yeah, David, yeah. Oh, Jeff jumped back in. Jeff, KDT, hundred percent. Yeah, something Thomas has learned already: knowledge, desire, and time. Something he's already figured out about himself, which is something that I find most people are in that journey, and that's why I said he has such a mature mindset. Figuring yourself out and being able to, it just allows you to move through life so much more quick you know, with your, with the speed and, and which you move and how you perform. And that's something that you can see. Uh, thanks guys so much for being here. We'll see you uh, again next week on Monday. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. We hope that you find value in this show. We hope that you find value in MCO advisors. You finding success means everything to us. If you found value in this show, please leave us a rating. Thank you all. Talk soon. <laughs>